Welcome, welcome. This is the Bull, the Bear, and my brother's chair. Nate, what is happening today? Well, we're recording this on a Friday. It's not a live show. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We're recording this on a Friday. Fridays are good. Life is Uh, good. Things are good. I spent some time in Washington, D.C. this week trying to fix the world. Did you Uh, fix anything? Don't feel like I've made a lot of progress, but perhaps in the retirement business a little bit. Okay. But maybe not anything noticeable for the foreseeable future. I spent some time in Austin, Texas, beginning of the week too. And uh, yeah, I changed changed the world down there. Yeah. So uh, so what uh, what do we got for today, Bilu? Well, we've got Jonathan Pritchard on the show. And Jonathan is a mentalist, what more people know as a mind reader. The interesting thing about Jonathan is is that he takes mind reading and he also gives you a spoiler alert that says people cannot actually read minds. Right. I believe Sorry (laughs) sorry to ruin anything he had to that, but basically what the mentalist or mind reader is, is watching people and how they react to situations and things around them and kind of controlling that and that really people don't think they don't make decisions really that different from one another, maybe little nuances, but people are people and it's applied psychology, human behavior, which also actually translates over to things like sales, speaking in front of people, negotiation. So those three things of sales, negotiation and presentations are really what we're focusing on. Interesting hip, guy. Is he going to hypnotize you? <clears throat> God, I hope not. I've never, have you ever volunteered to do that? I've watched it before. I've never done it. I never want to do that either. No. I always feel like that just sounds like a recipe for embarrassment. Yeah, before, I would agree. Before I bring him on, let's get to bullish and bearish. All right, let me let me start. All right, you go first. I am bullish. I'm extremely bullish on one person. Me? You as well, but <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that today. My bullish is Elon Musk. Okay, okay I'll give that. That guy- you know, the average person's like, oh, I don't understand why Tesla's worth so much. It's a car company. Yeah. If you follow what he does. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, this morning I'm watching on my TV in my office and he launches, they launched the SpaceX rocket. Yeah. Just okay. for kicks. There are three paying customers on that, on that rocket. I wonder how much that costs. A lot. <laughs> okay. There's three paying customers and then one former NASA uh, astronaut. That's and they're good. going to the, the International Space Station for 10 days. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what you do there. If you sent me there for 10 days, I'd have no concept. (laughs) But anyway, so he's into that. They just launched their uh, new Gigafactory in Texas. I saw that. They're having the biggest party in the world they said 4.3 million square feet, I think it is. And he came out in one of his roadsters, which I don't think is going to be built for like five years. Yes. And any other company, you think if you you launch something and you're like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's the coolest thing. And you're like, by the way, it'll probably be three to five years out. Right. That people would just <clears throat> lose their mind. For sure. But for him, it, because he's, you don't know exactly when or what, but you know he's going to do it. Did you see his <laughs> April Fool's Cybertruck joke? No. Oh, yeah. He that he said, said, said Cybertruck's dead. We just and killed so it all. So he came out in a roadster and he had some type of like cowboy hat and glasses on and <laughs> was just partying. <laughs> he is a cool like, guy. That guy, if you haven't spent time like watching what he's actually doing oh. and the rockets and the, it. I would be for, this might not be a popular opinion, but I know people say, well, he doesn't pay taxes and whatever. I'm <laughs> assure you he does, but he bought 9% of Twitter yeah. just over the weekend. Yeah. And I would be all for saying whatever he touches, like do not make him pay tax. Okay, our, if the government <clears throat> takes $8 billion dollars from him a year, 
let him reinvest in the things that he's doing. He has another company called The Boring Company, and that was the one that made the flamethrower that one time, yeah. that one year, just for kicks. But if he can't put $8 billion to work in a, or whatever he pays in a way that's more meaningful than, the government. than others can, I would take that bet yeah, all day, every day. These views do not express not uh, express the views of Apple Podcast. Yeah, and we would love to have Elon on the show if we can figure out how to do that. Yeah, I'll work on that. So anyway, I'm bullish on Elon. I'm, oh, bullish, I'm bullish on, on everything he's doing. Like he's doing things that the average person, myself included, can't even like imagine. I, I would agree with that. He is just an impressive guy. He's in, quite quirky, but he's impressive. Yeah, he's all right. My bullish on. I'm bullish on. You, you. Let me see if I can just say this the one way. Of one guy I know says it as quality only hurts once. Another guy tells calls it as you get what you pay for. But I am bullish now in my life. I used to not be on paying a little more for something that is quality or something that you really want instead of bargain shopping or getting yep. a thing at a discount. It was kind of what you wanted, but not really. Right. Mm-hmm. And I take that, you know, in its simplest form, uh, I'm a Yeti cooler fan and yeah, a Yeti absolutely. mug fan. Mm-hmm. If I get a different brand, I don't love it as much. Yep. So I'm going to say, well, that's the same people that built Yeti. It's not the same. Okay. It's not the same. So I'll tell you a story about where one of the most defining moments of my life, and you were actually there. <laughs> I, I was I was like the keep person i think in this story so we bought a wakeboard boat right and this thing is i don't even know it's got a car engine in the back like it was a me and nate bought this this together eight years ago ten years ago it was ten years ago because my daughter was just born which my wife thought was such a cool idea that i bought a wakeboard boat the year my daughter was born but anyway the first season we had it on the lake had a great time yep and then stored it somewhere i remember where we stored it but the next season yep i had to take it to get its oil change yeah, yeah, winterized. Winterized. Like winterized. the line's got to be blown, like every, Yeah, whatever. but I, this was, I got it in the spring to get it, like, ready to go in the water. You can tell, obviously, we know a lot about boats. Yeah. So, I take it to this local mechanic shop instead of the boat dealer because, yep. and it was partially, it was right there, and also this guy was going to do it for, like, 200 bucks, and the other place was, like, saved 500. $300. Yep. So, I saved two, 300 bucks, and I thought, hell, if a guy can change an oil, like, in a car, how hard can it be? They know how to change oil, right? Anyway, take it to it easy enough experience getting it they changed it i brought it out i lower it in the water nate gets in the boat i dry he gets in starts it up goes out into the water i drive around the trailer around over to the dock where we had it at. i walk out on the dock and nate's driving the boat over to the dock saying something's not right there's lights beeping we open up the back and there was oil sprayed all over the boat yeah so here's here's how this went <laughs> so in this boat it was like a four-year-old boat at the time the like the the warning light would stay on for not that long maybe two three four five minutes basically to tell you hey don't don't go over three thousand rpms until it warms up so i'm puttering out there and it was like a 10 minute it, and we met back at the at, at we put it in at the launch we met back at the dock which is like a 10 minute drive so i'm like three minutes i'm halfway into my journey this is a big lake halfway into my journey usually the light would be going off it's not so, you know, it's, but it's the first, first, some of the season, maybe it's taking a little longer to warm up. I don't know. So I'm five minutes in, I'm like, this ain't right. And I'm in the middle of the lake. I mean, I either got to go back five minutes or keep going five minutes. <laughs> and I look in the back, I open up the back and there's oil or some, some substance that it didn't look right up. all over the bottom of the engine bay. 
So I, I didn't get it over 3,000 RPMs, but by the time I got it back, it had zero oil in it, <clears throat> and it was in a tough spot. Yeah, and it ended up, because my cheap ass tried to save $200, uh, ended up being that the motor had sprayed all the oil out because the place didn't put it on right. They fessed up to it. They fixed it, whatever. Didn't do the oil change right. Sprayed all over immediately, which caused the engine to burn, yep. seize up, totally fried the motor, didn't get our boat in the lake. This so we lost real like crime. 45 days of a, of a short Minnesota summer. summer. And, but we saved $200 in the, so in the process. So that brings me to being bullish, Sean. That was a, you know, a memorable story, but I've had many other stories. You can probably relate to being, you know, cheap at some times being like, why the hell did I do that? But brings me to the point of just pay for what you want and get it quality because quality only hurts once. That is correct. One person once told me cost is only an issue in the absence of value. See, sometimes okay. life cost is a serious issue. Well, it is, but cost <laughs> is only an issue in the absence of value. So remember that in your personal life, uh, you can always find asset management cheaper, right? Sure. You can always find it for 10 basis points versus 60. Mm-hmm. So cost is only an issue in the absence stay at of a value. Cheaper hotel. Yep. You ever stayed at a really cheap hotel and yeah. regretted that? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Not a great mm-hmm. idea. Yep. Great. Well, I tell you what, we will bring, I knew you were going to say that because Jonathan's come out, he taught me how to read minds. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, he, he does do things <laughs> it is like, he will say, pick a number one through 20, you write on a piece of paper and he'll just tell you what the number is. Really? And flip it around, there it is. Huh. So, I'm going to bring him on the show to teach us a little about sales, negotiation, presentations, and of course, how to read minds. Perfect. Nate, get out of here. So with that, I've got Jonathan Pritchard on the podcast with us today. Jonathan is an author, consultant, keynote speaker. He's got a client list that includes BP, Discovery, United Airlines, and several other large corporations in the country. His work focuses on the power of influence and applied psychology in sales, negotiations, presentations, and beyond. When he's not traveling uh, for work, you'll find him at home in Asheville, North Carolina with his wife. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, man, thank you so much. With an introduction like that, man, that I got a lot to live up to. <laughs> I, I feel you deliver. I feel this isn't isn't your first rodeo. So I've got a, a, a couple of run-up questions before I really mm-hmm. get to kind of the meat of, of you know, what else I want to know. First off, a lot of your books, a lot of your speaking, I've read some of your books, I've seen you speak before, is on, you know, mind reading, but also you have a title of mentalist. Talk a little about what a mentalist is versus mind reader. Are they the same? Are they different? Give, give the audience kind of what that all means. You got it. Mentalist is the technical term. Mind reader is the colloquial term <laughs> sure. that that's easy for people to wrap their heads around. Like, wait a minute, you you get paid money to tell me what I'm thinking? Like, yep, you bet. That's it. So it's to me, it's really strange that I make my money telling you what you already know. That seems like the the weirdest way to make a living possible. But, you know. It's working with the thing that's the most interesting thing in the universe, which is you. So basically, a mentalist is a flavor entertainer and performer that has specialized in using applied psychology to make it look like you can read minds, predict the future, uh, talk to ghosts, all that kind (laughs) of weird supernatural stuff has very real explanations that are couched in understanding how human beings interact with reality 
at a fundamental level. So once you really understand what mentalism is and what makes it work, it's kind of like hacking the matrix and suddenly you see how human beings work. And that is a very, very, very valuable skill to companies and corporations that have a valuable proposition for customers, but they may not be able to explain to a customer why that customer needs it. Mm-hmm. And and that belief of, oh, it's so good, it'll sell itself <laughs> has destroyed billions of dollars worth of commerce. So mm-hmm. it's a really important angle of business to understand how their customers and clients think so that you can make meaningful propositions and pitches and presentations and sales and negotiations. So basically it's at the bedrock, just really good human communication skills. Okay. So, so anywhere there's a person, this can help. Got it. And so you, you have a, a, one of the quotes in there is mentalism, mentalism works because it leverages the fundamental processes that we humans use to interact with reality. So a a question then is I watched, you know, I watched you have a a lady pick a number between one and 10. And this is why this is one of the more simple things that, that you do, but she wrote down the number on a piece of paper, held it to her chest, and you're like, two, turns it around, it's a two. So my question is, do, do you find in human behavior and understanding the way people you know, think and react and how they, in your term, see reality, are they really kind of 80% the same? Are there five different categories of people? Like, how do you figure out who you're talking to? This is a very good question with really scary answers. <laughs> We're all the same at the end of the day. <laughs> right, right. Which which isn't to say that your choices are going to be exactly the same as somebody else's choices. It's how you come to that conclusion is the exact same process no matter who you are on planet Earth. Got it. And and. If you want to stay up at night, look into the replication crisis of psychology and most of the the rock solid research and and testing and all of that, that a lot of your quote unquote uh, psychology based sales negotiation experts, all the research they're pulling from Mm -hmm. can't be replicated. You set up exactly the same conditions, have same people do the test and you're going to get different results. Mm -hmm. That's a big problem. That's like saying, oh, when I drop my coffee mug, it starts floating up instead of down Mm -hmm. like that. Okay, that would mean that there's something about physics we don't understand. Right. Well, magicians have been entertaining audiences all over the world since before there was history. Mm hmm. And I don't care where you grew up when that tiger shows up in the cage, you're like, oh, wow, that's impressive. That's amazing. (laughs) I'm going to clap. So magicians are working on a level that is before cultural context. Mm -hmm. So it's fundamental human psychology. So the rigorous study of psychology 
hasn't been around long, mm-hmm. maybe 150 years, maybe. And most of what the science is of psychology can't be replicated. So, oh, yeah, that's not science. Right, right. <laughs> so so that's why if you can have an audience of any flavor anywhere in the world and still make it look like you can do something that's impossible, like read minds, mm-hmm. then that means that you understand how an audience thinks about understanding what it is that they're experiencing. Got it. Okay, good. So once once you understand those processes, you can now engineer situations where those processes come to the same conclusions that are very wrong. Right. And that is what the magic effect is. Now, in the context of sales and business, you want those conclusions to be very correct. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to be lying to your customers. Right. You want them to come to the correct conclusion, which is you are the best answer to their problem. Got it. <clears throat> OK, so let's let's dive into those. And there there were three things that you speak on quite often, which are sales, negotiations and presentations. So. I mean, sales, I think, you know, we have a lot of small business owners. We have a lot of financial uh, services professionals, financial advisors who listen to this podcast. Sales, no matter what business you own, is generally the key to things. It's what you're after. Most people that start businesses are salespeople. You've got negotiations, which maybe we'll talk a little bit about the difference between sales and negotiation. But even if I take negotiations at its base form, we're negotiating rent, we're negotiating office furniture, we're negotiating all kinds of things as a business owner. And then any business owner that, uh, you know, makes it to some level of success is, is holding presentations. Maybe they're doing seminars for new clients. Maybe they're doing presentations to uh, private equity firms, presentations to a doctor's association, whatever it may be, you're doing presentations. So, Let's start with sales and negotiations. How do you see those two differ and how do you see them the same? They're both conversations about value, really. And sales is the natural byproduct of really good marketing. Mm-hmm. And marketing is communicating who you help, how you help them, why they need help, all that kind of stuff. And once they open they being the lead or customer client, once they open a line of dialogue with you, you're now into sales. So to me, sales is the communication of how you make their life better. Mm-hmm. That's really it. Mm-hmm. You aren't pitching, you aren't pushing, you are helping your lead understand why their life is going to be better with your help in terms of more money, more time, more resources. So basically you're explaining how you sell money at a discount. Give me a hundred thousand dollars. You get $500,000 back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that you don't know how to do, or you know how to do it, but you can't do it because you don't have the skill set. Right. Or you could do it. You know exactly what to, to do about it. You just don't have the time or inclination. You got better things to do with your time. So outsource this effort to me. Give me a hundred thousand bucks. I'll get you five hundred thousand dollars back while you go do the thing that's going to go make you a million dollars. Right. And it's that that 
level of understanding brokered by trust that they now believe that you're the best option to make that happen. Right. Okay. And that doesn't happen automatically. No. It comes through a series of discussions and reading people and seeing if your service, your product, your value actually can enhance their life. And like you said, I have this thing so great it's going to sell itself. Look how great it is. Isn't the answer. It is, is my product service value a fit for this person? And then helping them see that it is in fact the fit. Right. And the way to do that is to understand how they're seeing the world, what they value, then communicating in their language so that they've got an easy time understanding what you're trying to say. So let's talk about that for a moment, because I think that is probably the, the, the biggest challenge people have in sales negotiations of figuring out what makes them tick. How do they receive information? You can probably, you, you'll do a better job explaining the basic steps. Obviously you are stratum 10 on this, but what is a, what is a guy like me who thinks I'm good at, but I don't really, I can do it, but I don't really understand what I'm probably doing. How do you verbalize what a person can do to take the steps to understand the person sitting across the table from them? Ask more questions. Okay. When you think you understand you're, you're maybe 30% of the way there. You need to ask way more questions. Okay. And once you ask those questions, you then need to explain what it is that you understand to the person who just explained it to you. Got it. So that they can then go, oh, no, you missed the point entirely. It's this. And then you go, okay, so I'm understanding that. And they go, that's closer. <laughs> but... Here's here's some more information for you, because the what is it? The greatest barrier to understanding or communication is the illusion that it's happened. <laughs> right? So you go, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. And then you move forward without demonstrating what it is that you understand. Mm-hmm. So you didn't give them the chance to understand that you don't understand. Right. <laughs> so now you're moving forward and you aren't on the same page yet. And now you are going to spend the next 10, 15 minutes talking about why your company is so great. And your client is sitting there going, well, they don't understand my situation. So I'm sure not going to trust their recommendation because that's like a doctor misdiagnosing me, then giving me a prescription (laughs) that'll probably kill me. So thank you very much for your offer. I'm I'm going to go somewhere else. I know your elbow hurts. Let me talk about knee surgery. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. We got to cut your leg off. I'm like, I've got a cough. What are you talking about? Well, the leg bone's connected to the lung bone. We, we got to get it out of here. <laughs> exactly. So how about if you transition into negotiations? Oftentimes, you know, selling something, it's, it's you know, we don't sell a lawnmower where you either want it or you don't, or maybe there's a variety of them. Oftentimes in most businesses, it's, you know, you there's different ways you can interact with the client or bring them on board or whatever you may Talk a little about negotiations and it's, you have the, a a saying you use, it's not just what you sell, it's what you agree to. So talk a little about negotiation itself. Yeah. Negotiation is a thing that happens all day, every day. You're doing it anytime you say yes or no. So it's not a thing where you go, well, I don't like to do it. So I'm just not going to, you're just saying, I, I dedicate my life to being bad at this. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so be aware of that. Also, 
the bigger the opportunity, the more important negotiation is. It's like you pointed out, if it's a lawnmower, very straightforward, you want it or you don't, buy it or not, take it or leave it, that's a very straightforward negotiation. Mm-hmm. More valuable negotiations are opportunities with a lot of moving pieces, a lot of details and context and and the bigger the project, the more valuable negotiation is. So basically, sales is, well, here's the price, and then negotiation is, and here's everything around that price. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of, you agree on price, now let's talk about terms. Mm-hmm. And those could be all over the place. So the sales is about coming from that place of understanding and The reason why you ask a bazillion questions in the sales conversation is it's ammunition for your negotiation Mm -hmm. because they're explaining what is and they don't know what that means. But you do because this is your world. This is where you live all day, every day. So their answers are meaningful to you, but not them because they're not the expert here. Right. So what they said in call number one, seven minutes, 32 seconds in now comes to play when you're eight weeks into the conversation and you're still negotiating. Mm -hmm. You then go, well, you know, the reason why this is so important is that problem you've got that you explained about that negative consequence is going to happen if you don't do this thing that we're negotiating about right now. Right. So. I, I don't feel comfortable allowing you to steal your own results because if you want to take that off the table, you are now hobbling your own ability to win. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not how we need to do this. I, <laughs> I want you to win, right? <laughs> then they go, oh, okay, I get it. And now you just advocated for your own success. <laughs> steal your own results. That is, that is good. Right. Because most most people think that negotiation is we both give up stuff we want until we're both equally miserable. (laughs) And that's that's the worst way to do it. But it's the most common way people do it. A guy once told me when when I feel like you've got one over on me and you feel like I've got one over on you, the deal's probably fair. (laughs) Right. Right. And and I think that was selling a a car. (laughs) Exactly. But when when you understand what it is that somebody wants and why they want it or need it, it then opens up more avenues for you to find creative ways to solve their why beyond what it is that they're asking for, because most people don't know what it is that they need. They just know what they want Mm -hmm. and not why that will fix their problem. Because like this will this will warp your brain. If they knew what their real problem was, they would have solved it by now. (laughs) If they knew what it was and how bad of a problem it was. So so the fact that they've got the problem means that they don't know what it takes to solve it. Mm -hmm. So their idea of what they need to fix it is probably wrong. Mm hmm. So if you sell them what they want and then deliver what they want, you're just helping that problem stick around. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand why they want what they want 
then help them understand what the real solution is so that they get what it is that they actually need. Right. The thing that they were looking for that they didn't know that they wanted. Exactly. Very good. So the, the third one you talk about is presentations and this is a, uh, and another important thing that you've, uh, you write and you've talked about is it's not what you say, it's what they hear. Talk a little bit about that. And you, and you've spoken what 19,000 presentations or something crazy like that. So you, you know, a thing or two about this. What do you mean? It's not yeah. what you say. It's what they hear. I, I did my 19th, my 19,000th presentation by the time I was 23, 24 years old, Jeez. I'm now 39 as of this recording. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've had a clips, the 20 mark for sure. <laughs> right. I've, I've got a couple presentations under my belt yeah. in a lot of different contexts for national television, for local news, live in the morning, for newspapers, for podcasts. I mean, any flavor of quote unquote, public speaking, I've, I've done a bazillion of them mm-hmm. and, and presentations are an opportunity to demonstrate your ex- expertise and communicate the value of what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. And every employee does presentations, right? Even if it's your engineering team doing this week's stand up internally, just with coworkers, that's still a presentation. Mm-hmm. If you are a founder and you're pitching to investors, that's a presentation. If you're a founder and you go on a podcast, that's a presentation. Mm-hmm. So basically everything is a presentation and dangerously few people study how to be a good presenter mm-hmm. because I know how I want to explain what I do because I've been swimming in these waters my whole life. Right. So I have a whole way of explaining it to myself that makes a lot of sense because I've had my entire life to get good at talking to myself. Right. The lingo, the jargon you use, all that stuff. And none of that is intelligible to a stranger. (laughs) None of it. None of it. Right. I, I can help. Well, here's, here's a good example of why what you say doesn't matter is what they hear that matters. Mm-hmm. One, one of the most valuable ways that I help my clients is at trade shows. A trade show is a fantastic opportunity for a business to get a, a year or two's, two worth of leads in three or four days. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the main lead gen strategies for a lot of big businesses. Right. Well, their main strategy is, well, the sales team is good. Let's throw them in a booth and then they'll snipe people as they walk by. And there we go. Right. Or they try and grab some hand sanitizer. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or they go, oh, we'll give away an iPad. Just Mm -hmm. drop your business card in here. Well, what happens is you now have 500 business cards and only two people actually understand what you do and want to hear from you. Right. So now you're wasting your salespeople's time on the back end, following up with people who go, who is this? What are you talking? (laughs) 
Oh, the iPad I, guy. <laughs> oh, the iPad. Yeah, there were seven iPad giveaways. Which one is this? Did I win? Stop talking to me. Right. Right. So, so you wasted your time going to the to the trade show. You wasted your time on the back end of your salespeople, and now that's an ex- very expensive waste of time. Okay, try this on. Imagine if you had a professional presenter who could stand in your booth, attract a crowd in a respectable way, draw mm-hmm. a crowd entertain them for about 10 minutes while also delivering your marketing messaging about what makes your company awesome, who you help, how you help them and why they would be interested to know more. Mm -hmm. And now that I've blown your mind in Mm -hmm. a way that you're literally never going to forget, you feel attacked a bit. (laughs) Right. Right. So then you're like, Oh, I'm never going to forget that company because that was, wow, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, if all of that sounds good, go talk to the sales team here. They'll get you set up for a great conversation after the trade show. Cool. Okay. So there's that. That's the value I bring to my, my clients. Mm -hmm. Here's where it goes wrong. Oh, you've got to meet my buddy, Jonathan. He's amazing. He does these little magic tricks that are delightful. (laughs) Try explaining to a CEO of an international corporation, why in the world they should book a magician for $50,000 for two days of work. Right. <laughs> I hate magic. Right. The magicians are the weirdest people ever. They're just socially <laughs> awkward. Like we don't need like the, a card trick is the stupidest thing on the planet. Right. I can't, I can't imagine what you're fired for, for <laughs> Just bringing that up here, you're embarrassing yourself, really. What are you doing, (laughs) right? (laughs) So if I introduce myself, I'm a magician. I do magic tricks. Mm -hmm. That's worth about uh, one, get lost, please. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I agree. That's yeah. funny. And I, I do, yes. I mean, it certainly does from a presentation standpoint. Anytime, you know, we've had professional speakers at our meetings. You know, of course, our internal people speak and present quite often, but the person who has actually dialed it in and that is their, you know, their profession, what they are good at is light years above where the rest of us are at. What would you say, you know, kind of sales negotiations, presentations, if you had to break down the basics of, human behavior. And let's just talk about kind of the, the general population, right? Of course there's outliers here and there. What are the two or three things that you have to understand about people to really understand how they view reality? They move towards what they want. They move away from what they don't want at base. Mm -hmm. The wrinkle is they move towards what they think they want and they move away from what they think they don't want. Got it. That's very an, good. An amoeba is smarter than people. <laughs> because you put sulfuric acid in its environment and then it goes, you know what? This is a really bad place for me to be. I'm going to move away from this. Right. And then there's some food over there and they go, ah, I, I like food. I'm going to move over there. Right. And then it moves towards food. Very simple. An amoeba can't be... <laughs> an amoeba can't trick itself into believing good about bad. Mm-hmm. So human beings move towards what they think is good, which might actually be one of the worst things for its well-being. 
mm-hmm. and think, it, oh, this is a great thing for me to be doing, mm-hmm. which is entirely self-destructive. So that's super wacky. Like that, <laughs> that's just so strange to me. What uh, <clears throat> final question here is if, you know, obviously you've spent a, a lifetime already at 39 years old studying people, reading minds. If, if you could point somebody in a direction that wanted to learn more about applied psychology and how this works. Is there a, a book to read a, where, where would you point a person to start picking up some of the basics of this? Weirdly my own book. Okay. Because I wrote it for exactly that question. And you've got like a half a dozen of them. Which one specifically? The, the one I like is. <laughs> you got one you don't? Is, is think, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, several that, that you can't find anymore that, that were embarrassing. Um, so yeah, the biggest, <laughs> the best one is think like a mind reader. And there's a, there are the direct lessons. Then there's the meta lesson that is the lesson about the lessons, which is being a better communicator is the foundation for all success in all human relationships. The more effective you are to commun- at communication, the more effective your sales, negotiations, romantic, professional relationships, everything rests on how well you could explain and understand yourself and others. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the book itself explores all the things that people ask me about after my shows, after my presentations, autograph line. Oh, what about this? Well, I get the same 20 questions after every engagement for the past 20 years. So I put them all into that book. The book itself is a prop that has some work built into it that enables you to use the book as the the tool to make your friends think you could read their minds. (laughs) Right. So, so the book itself helps that process happen. And at first, when you're first trying to learn how to work the effect, Mm -hmm. it'll be an interesting puzzle to your friends. And they go, well, that's, that's interesting. How'd you do that? Mm -hmm. And then as you learn what to say, how to hold the book, how to execute the gross motor movements, then it it goes from being a puzzle into a miracle where your friends are going, wait a minute, how, how in the world did you know that? Right. What, what are you, are you psychic? Can you, can you read minds? The, the, the method is exactly the same. It's your ability to execute that gets better. That improves the effect that you're intending. So as you become a better communicator, it looks easier and easier to your audience and it's more and more effective to you. And it looks like it happens by magic and it does happen by magic because see, everybody uses that expression to, to say, Oh, it doesn't happen on its own with no effort. But everything happens exactly like magic because magic requires a ruthless attention to detail Mm -hmm. and an unreasonable dedication to practice Mm -hmm. to make something extraordinarily difficult look like it happens without effort. Right, right. So every single time somebody says this doesn't happen like magic, 
Well, actually, it happens exactly like magic. Right. You just don't understand how tough magic is. Right. Well, <laughs> so if you want to be a better communicator, read that book, use it, because the instructions on how to use it are hidden in one of the chapters. So you've got to read the whole thing in order to discover <clears throat> the secrets. Well, I was just going to say, speaking of reading the whole thing, I tell you what, for anybody that's uh, listening to this whole thing, I'll get five of those books on my desk. You email me. You Most of you know how to find me email me. I'll send you a copy of Think Like a Mind Reader so you can get started on that. And before we wrap up here, tell tell us where people can check you out. I know you do corporate events, you do corporate speaking, you do trade shows, you write books. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is go to ICanReadMinds.com, which will forward you to my personal portfolio site that explains all the ways that I help all the different kinds of clients that I do. Uh, because Jonathan Pritchard.me can be typed all sorts of weird ways. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, just go to ICanReadMinds.com and that'll get you where you need to go. Excellent. Well, you've been more than gracious with your time and thanks for entertaining us over the years. And certainly I follow you, uh, I follow your Instagram, follow a bunch of things you do out there. So I appreciate you, you know, teaching what you're doing too and being an open book on how it actually works and applying it to the business world instead of just an entertainer where you say, oh, that's cool. The fact that you figure out how to teach people to apply this to their lives is is simply fascinating. And uh, I just find it overly entertaining. So appreciate all you're doing for uh, the business world and appreciate what you have done for us and for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. I I deeply appreciate all the effort and energy you've spent looking into my work. I I feel sane. (laughs) All right. Well, go have a great day today, Jonathan. We'll see you soon enough. You got it. Thank Thank you you. so much. Bye-bye.